the Fed's game is one of confidence and perception. It needs the markets to believe that it has the power that it says it has. No one is a better advocate for this position than Jeffrey Snyder. And his argument is really that the Fed's power is almost entirely in the mirage of power that it builds for itself, aided and abetted by the media. But it feels to me like that mirage is fading, that the Fed is losing that power of self-fulfilling prophecy. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com, Bitstamp, and Nexo.io, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, August 27th, and today we are talking about Jerome Powell's Jackson Hole speech. I wanted to focus and hone in on this topic and in particular different people's reaction to the speech, so there'll be no brief today, but we'll obviously do another brief tomorrow. So first, some context about Jackson Hole. Every year, the Kansas City Fed holds this event, which is sort of like a TED, but for central bankers. So it's a place where people trot out their big, heady ideas and see what the response is, and it's obviously usually closed doors, like a TED conference. Last year, one of the big things that came out of the Jackson Hole event was Mark Carney, the former Bank of England governor, proposing a synthetic hegemonic currency, basically a Libra or a Keynesian Bancor-type digital reserve asset for a new world to replace the dollar. So that gives you kind of an idea of the type of things that come up there. Well, this year, like every event in the time of COVID-19, Jackson Hole was a virtual event, and because of that, the Fed took advantage of that challenge to make it more available to the public. As the New York Times pointed out in an article today as well, this goes with a larger theme of the Fed being accountable to the people that it is serving, which holding aside any critiques that come up of the Fed in this conversation is something that I really support. I wish that more people had an active interest in monetary policy and had debates on that level, so I think it's a good thing that we're seeing this type of event be less exclusionary and more invitational to people from all walks of life. Now, there was much anticipation going into this event, much expectation about what would happen, and in particular, there was an expectation that we would see a changed approach to inflation, which we did in fact get. But let's start with a quick sum up in a single tweet length of what we saw in Fed Chair Powell's remarks. This comes from Mohamed El-Irian, who summed it up this way. Powell's remarks include so far a revamp of its monetary policy framework that, consistent with a quote new normal, appears to tweak the operational employment targeting, change the inflation targeting, and put greater emphasis on financial stability. We're going to talk about all these different pieces, but let's start with this employment idea. Effectively, the Fed's shift around its full employment mandate is this. Instead of being concerned with some idea of a natural rate of unemployment below which you would see real pressure on inflation, the Fed is going to really just focus on getting to full employment. Nick Bunker summed it up this way. He said, The Fed is saying it'll care more about unemployment being too high than the unemployment rate being too low. Previously, any deviation, high or low, were supposedly treated equally. Now, this could be significant in the long term. However, right now we're sitting at 10% plus unemployment. And so it's hard to grok really the big difference of 
unemployment rates being too low at three and a half or four percent because it just seems like so many years that it's likely to be before we get back to that level. What's more, in many ways, this was still just part and parcel of a difference in and a change in how the Fed is viewing inflation. In other words, the reason that they were concerned about going below the quote natural rate of unemployment before was a fear of inflation. And in many ways, this whole speech was about getting rid of or getting over fears of inflation. In fact, a key Powell line was this. 40 years ago, the biggest problem our economy faced was high and rising inflation. Today, the persistent undershoot of inflation from our 2% longer run objective is a cause for concern. This gets us to the main point of what this speech was actually changing. Instead of shooting for a target of 2% inflation as a max, the Fed is now looking to have an average of 2% inflation over time. That means, basically, that if we have had a long period of under 2% inflation, such as we have now, then not only would above 2% inflation be okay, it would actually be encouraged. Now let's get into the reactions from FinTwit and Crypto Twitter and see what people were talking about in the wake of Powell's speech. First topic, which is something I'll come back to a little later, has to do with what the Fed should and shouldn't do. And this is a real theme that ran throughout the speeches, the basic idea of there being limits to Fed policy and the need for Congress and fiscal policy to do its part as well. George Selgin wrote, Powell on Main Street Lending. We're really not the ideal. Then he breaks off into some remarks about the efforts the Fed has made and concludes by saying, in essence, Congress needs to step up and help these businesses. My translation? We shouldn't have fielded that ball. Stephanie Kelton, who is of course the high priest of MMT, wrote, So now we sit back and wait to see if Congress delivers. To which Luke Grauman responded, Exactly. If you're only watching the Fed, you're only getting one half of the story. Seeing as how the Fed and Treasury have been seriously dating, if not engaged to be married since March. Of course, if you've listened to this show, you know that this idea, this question of Fed independence and its relationship with the Treasury is one that we've been spending a lot of time on. What's going on, guys? I'm excited to share that one of this month's breakdown sponsors is Crypto.com. Crypto.com offers one of the most cost-efficient ways to purchase crypto out there, as they've just waived the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. When you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors. Trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. 
Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. A second set of reactions had to do with this focus on unemployment specifically. Danielle DiMartino Booth kind of summed up a lot of what I had seen on Twitter when she tweeted this. P.S. Targeting the unemployment rate has been tried in the past. It's nothing new. See 2012 FOMC transcripts. As a rookie on the FRB board, Powell eloquently argued against unemployment targeting as it boxed in Fed to market whims. Tail wags dog, he reasoned to paraphrase. Still, as I said in the beginning, the biggest part of the commentary was obviously reserved for the focus on inflation. Let's take another tweet from Danielle DiMartino Booth to kick that conversation off. Appropriate monetary policy can run inflation hot on average. Translation, we can run printing policy for as long as we damn well please, and no you, holders of those cute little green bills called the dollar, don't have a say. You're not supposed to earn interest. Are you deaf? Joe Weisenthal tweeted, explaining how higher inflation is good is a tough communication challenge for the Fed because higher inflation isn't good. In response, numerous people tweeted back to Joe Weisenthal Powell's own words from the speech today that said, many find it counterintuitive that the Fed would want to push inflation up. After all, low and stable inflation is essential for a well-functioning economy. And we are certainly mindful that higher prices for essential items such as food, gasoline, and shelter add to the burdens faced by many families, especially those struggling with less jobs and income. Luke Grauman again responded to Joe's argument that higher inflation isn't good by saying this, It is if you are a debtor, especially if the Fed is capping your interest rates like they are for the biggest debtor in the world, aka the United States government. Luke went on to summarize Powell's speech this way. He tweeted, Powell's speech in plain English. There is too much debt in the US and globally. It's hurting growth. This can be resolved one of two ways. One, widespread defaults, including on sovereign debt, or two, inflated away. Today, we are accelerating option number two. Now, this, I believe, marks one half or one side of the interpretation of this, which is that this is an inevitable response to the level of debt that we have and that we're going to have to inflate it away and we have to design policies that allow for inflation to increase. Otherwise, we're never going to be able to address this debt. This is a big part of the reason that people are finding their way into assets like Bitcoin right now, this narrative and this belief that the narrative reflects. Eric Voorhees, the CEO of Shapeshift, said this in his own way. He said the Fed wants more inflation. I believe they will get it. Not next month, probably not next year, but they will get it. So you have that whole side of the argument, but then you have the complete other side of the argument which has more to do with the Fed's impotence and, frankly, a disbelief that they can actually do anything more. Lisa Abramowitz summed this up saying, Traders expect inflation to rise but still to miss that 2% goal over the next three decades. The Fed can shoot for whatever target it wants, but the market is skeptical it'll be able to achieve its target. John Turek wrote in a weird way that this seemed more backwards-looking than forward-looking. He tweeted, while I applaud the Fed for going in the right direction, we didn't learn much that's new. This seemed more like a mea culpa for 2018. New framework is nice, but is largely fiscal dependent and Fed seems stuck. Someone responded, Great point. Seems more like a mea culpa for preemptively raising rates so high this past cycle, 
then it is designed to give markets confidence that they will hit it this time around. Turek responded to that exactly right. We messed up last time. The next time we have a 4% unemployment rate, we won't hike. That's great, but how do we get back there? Skanda Amarnath took this critique a little farther and actually pointed out that the inflation targeting itself is the problem. He writes, Now for what I see is the most disappointing aspect to the Fed's framework review, the doubling down on inflation targeting. I think the Fed rightly sees its primary error as one of insufficient accommodation, but the reasoning and remedy are both flawed. The thrust of this framework review has primarily centered around inflation. The Fed believes that inflation outcomes will self-perpetuate through the ever-unfalsifiable belief in the role of inflation expectations. By committing to more inflation, expectations will shift too. I fear that as the Fed tries to educate the public on what it means for inflation to quote average 2%, there is only going to be more attention paid to a fickle, noisy, messy, macro variable that does not serve as a reliable guide for real-time macroeconomic analysis. The summer of 2008 provides a very tangible example of what I'm talking about. The unemployment rate was rising, the economy was decelerating, but the Fed was reluctant to maximize accommodation out of fear of stoking higher inflation. A good framework should be robust to a variety of different scenarios. It's true that wage growth, inflation, and economic growth more generally are loosely correlated, but there might also be important divergences. How does average inflation targeting resolve this dilemma? This is especially relevant to the current context. Employment remains historically depressed relative to population and estimates of the labor force, but by emphasizing average inflation, does a temporary spell of above 2% inflation core or headline warrant less accommodation? The Fed's newfound support for tight labor markets and the shift to an asymmetric treatment of employment are both positive steps. But if those shifts reflect something meaningful, it seems odd to center your strategy around a variable heavily divorced from labor market performance. I'll end on this note. While there is value to operational independence, specifically in the execution of congressionally mandated goals, Paul McCulley's critique is worth revisiting regarding the limits of what the Fed should be defining for itself. Now, this last tweet points to a quote from Paul McCulley that says, I think the Fed has become too powerful. In some respects, it had no choice because other arms of government couldn't handle things in an efficient sort of way. But I think the essential issue of what is full employment, what is your potential growth rate, what is your inflation target, those are goals. I think there should be more involvement with Congress and the executive branch in sharing those goals. I'm a big believer in Fed independence operationally, day to day but in goal setting, I think they should share responsibility. They need to morph. And this gets us to, I think, the most significant and important critique of this speech, which is that it's really not much of a rethink at all. Modest Proposal tweeted, depressing. Instead of rethinking the entire construct of modern macro, inflation targeting, expectations, Philip curves, etc., it's like, what if we just do the same but better? particularly the part about higher inflation being needed to prevent a fall in inflation expectations and to give greater room to cut. Blech. Part of the reason for that might go back to that thread from Skanda that I read earlier, which is the idea of what the Fed can actually do. Is the Fed the right institution for these goals of full employment, at least on its own? Robobank's Michael Every wrote a piece that was then picked up by Zero Edge called The Real Hole in Jackson Hole, and he wrote this, The hole in Jackson Hole is the total absence of political economy. You can fiddle with targets and acronyms all you want, but the real problems are structural and hence political. Politicians have the power to deal with social transformation. 
concentration of wealth in a few hands, massive inequalities, competition issues, and all that. Or they do if they aren't listening to economists and central bankers who won't address these issues because, quote, economics is a science and not political. Again, there's the real hole in Jackson Hole. Let's sum up with just my kind of closing thoughts. The Fed's game is one of confidence and perception. It needs the markets to believe that it has the power that it says it has. No one is a better advocate for this position than Jeffrey Snyder. And his argument is really that the Fed's power is almost entirely in the mirage of power that it builds for itself, aided and abetted by the media. But it feels to me like that mirage is fading, that the Fed is losing that power of self-fulfilling prophecy. The reactions to this speech in many ways were split between one of two extremes. On the one hand, there are those who aren't buying that they can even hit this inflation target who want a much more accommodative policy. On the complete opposite side are people who think they've completely lost the plot letting inflation run hot. There is, however, an even bigger confidence gap which is maybe shared by both of those extremes, which is the idea that if it was bold action and a different direction that was needed, this simply wasn't it. In fact, it seems like the only people who believe that this is some massive shift are those in the media who are responsible for writing headlines like CNBC's breaking, Federal Reserve announces major policy shift. Everyone else, for more or less one reason or another, as Modest Proposal put it, kind of felt like this was just more of the same but better? The last part that I want to point to, I guess, is this growing idea that maybe the Fed is just out of its base, that there are fundamental problems with what the Fed is trying to do and how much power it has to do that as opposed to fiscal policy. This is something I spoke about with Adam Tooze earlier this week. When interest rates are your only tool for getting to something like full employment, it means that you have to benefit a whole lot of people and a whole lot of things more than your ultimate target on the way to get to those people at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. The result of that is exactly what we've seen with massively inflated asset prices based on artificially low rates and the impairment of anyone who wants to save at a lower part of the risk curve. So in many ways, this speech feels to me largely unremarkable. Sure, there are some shifts, but frankly, they're shifts that feel almost entirely theoretical to the economy that we have right now. And what's more, if anything, the more notable feature of this speech is the response to it and the fading of the Fed's mirage of grand power. So it'll be interesting to see what the markets make of all this. It'll be interesting to see what the narrative machine turns out. But for now, it's a little hard not to feel like this is an institution that is just exhausted. Anyways, guys, I'm interested in your take on all this. I'm interested in your read. So hit me up at NLW. Let me know what you thought. And as always, I appreciate you listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.